and I'm going to have Josh Jost come on up. Josh is going to preach today. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah, this is the world's greatest youth pastor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thank you. And not only can you see it in the enthusiasm the kids have for you, but the enthusiasm those kids have for Jesus. And Josh, I see you raise up a generation of kids that are loving and, and following Christ. And even as they move into adulthood, they're following him. And that's a real credit to how you love Jesus yourself and yeah. teach. So I'm going to pray for Josh. Let's pray for Josh. Let's stand and pray for Josh. And we're going to pray, and then he's going to share a number of things here this morning. Father, thank you for Josh. Uh, we are so grateful for his heart for you. Thank you for his courage and his hard work today as he's gotten ready to preach. Father, you've gifted him to teach. We've heard him. God, we know that he has something to say from you, God. So speak through him. Give him your peace. Give him joy in the task. I pray that we will have hearts that hear and respond. We won't just be hearers of the word, but doers, God, of it. And so we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be Amen. seated. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, before we get started, I just want to give a little bit of recap that we had at Heartland Christian Camp. So I think we got a picture up here of our group. This is on the last night. We have a big dinner and everything. Uh, but just a couple things that God was doing. So the preacher went through the first half of Romans. He went through Romans 1 through 12 within five days. So it was crazy. We went deep. We went surface level. We went all the way under, all that sort of stuff. But we got to see a lot of our kids' lives changed. On the last night, we had about four of, our, four of our students stand up to rededicate their lives to Christ. I mean, yeah, let's, let's give that. It was cool. So, by the way, if you were at camp over there, just raise your hand. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And, um, yeah, and then I lost my keys at Tahoe, and we searched for them for two hours. Hudson and Morgan and all pranked me. We saran wrapped David to the bed. Like, there's just good times. <laughs> I don't know how we did that. But no, and really connected. Our group grew in unity and just relationships and friendships, and that's really important. So I'm actually going to have David Autry come up, come up here. He is going to read our scripture this morning. So come on up here, David. Got you a mic here. All right, I'm going to be reading from John 10, um, 1 through 18. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in, my, climbs in by the same other way, is a, thief and, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by the name and leads them out. When he has brought out all, lead, all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follows, follow him because they know his voice, but they, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep, all who ever Come before me and war thieves and uh, robbers. <laughs> robbers. Say, I lost my page, sorry. You're good, dude. But the sheep did not listen to them. I, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and go out and 
and find pastors. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may live life, they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees this wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and the sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too listen to my voice, and they will shout, they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life and only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to, the, to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. All right. Thanks, David. All right. Hey, how many five-year-olds, okay, if you're the ages five to ten, raise your hands. We got, got a few, raise them high, raise them high. Okay, um, do you guys have any responsibilities at your homes? Like any chores, any chores that you guys have to do? Yeah? Like how many of you guys have to feed the dog? Yeah, or the cat, maybe I've got a cat. How many of you guys, maybe how many of you guys have to walk the dog? Is that any, is that any, maybe a little bit, no? All right, hey, so David was just up here reading some scripture, and um, did you guys know that David was actually a shepherd in Ethiopia, Africa? Can you guys guess how old he was when he was a shepherd? Or he was actually, this cattle, but, you know, similar things. He said he was between the ages of five and six, all right? Now, parents, can you imagine just for a second, I mean, your kid's just even taking your dog for a walk a mile away from your house. Can you imagine that? It's just wild. So he had primarily three jobs as a cattleman or a shepherd. But the first thing he had to do, he had to take them out of the pen, and he had to guide them to pasture, sometimes an hour away, right? This, this was like a five- and a six-year-old doing this. Then other times he had to protect them. He was just telling me this story the other day that there was a cow lost in the middle of the night. So he says, Josh, I, you know, they wouldn't let me go by myself, so I got a responsible eight-year-old over here, and, and, and we went and chased after the cows, like, in the middle of the night, right? So he had to protect them from predators, hyenas, whatever that would have been. And also, lastly, he would have had to provide for them. He had to lead them to food. He had to lead them to pasture. You know, it wasn't just like, go scoop the cat food out and put it on, you know? Like, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, a lot of times, too, he had to do He'd provide for their, their sanitary. He had to, like, clean the manure pen out. Like, it's a little bit harder than the, the kitty litter box, right? Like, this was some crazy stuff. Oh, sorry, guys. All right. So today we're going to talk about how Jesus does all these things for us as the good shepherd, okay? So we got three main points that we're going to look at today. We're going to go over the good shepherd is our guide, the good shepherd protects us, and the good shepherd provides for us. All right, so... The first thing is, is that the good shepherd is our guide. In John 10, 4, he says, After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. So Jesus walks ahead of us, just how David would have walked ahead 
of, of the sheep to guide them to where they needed to go. But it's kind of a realization that we have to have as believers that Jesus is our guide. And uh, I, I'll quote this guy. His name's Philip Keller, but it's this realization that says, when a person exchanges the fickle fortunes of, fortunes of living life by sheer whimsy for the more productive and satisfying adventure of being guided by God. So the question we're asking ourselves this morning is, what am I guided most by? Most by? Am I guided most by God's word, his Holy Spirit, and his people? Or am I guided more by my sheer whimsy and what's just going to like feel good in the moment? So he guides us in all areas of life, but he's got three primarily, primary ways of doing this. And the first one, guys, is the Holy Spirit, all right? And, um, and how he does this, there's lots of things the Holy Spirit does, but we're going to talk about one thing in particular that kind of gets a bad rap. But 2 Corinthians 7, 9, 10 talks about us being convicted or go- a godly sorrow that is produced in us, and this is a guiding. He says, though I did regret it, I see my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed by any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So there's a worldly sorrow, and then there is a godly sorrow. And if you just think about the word, like if you guys ever feel guilty about something, the first word that kind of comes to mind is like what? I feel convicted. And this is not a popular word today. Like you hear the word convict, what do you guys think of? You think of ex-convict, right? You think of somebody that you should not trust. You think of like the most negative thing that we could think of, right? So when we heard this word, we instantly just, it kind of like shuts us down. And here's the reason, guys. Conviction appeals to our sense of guilt, all right? And it hasn't been but in the last 10 years that I've seen a growing distaste for a sense of guilt uh, in our culture. Our culture used to say that if you, if you kind of felt guilty for something, that it made you actually more human. Like, you felt bad for something, it made you even more human. In some ways, this is still true. Um, almost every culture you look at, uh, stealing is, is bad, right? You look at this. And I have, I have an example of this in my own life. Um, so I was going into a bike shop one day. No, I didn't steal anything. But I, <laughs> but I went in and I had overpaid for something. And they said, okay, now you have this $100 credit. Well, I went in a second time and I, I used that credit. And then I kept going in after that. And every time I'd go in after that, even though I'd used my credit, they would say, you got this credit here. And and I like kind of let the cash register keep going until I realized like that is stealing. Like I can't I can't do this. So I I would fess up and be like, no, like you already gave me that credit. Like, and then they would be like, oh man, like thanks for being so honest. Here's a here's a twenty percent off, you know. And I was like, okay. I go in another time and they're like, you got a hundred dollar credit. And I was like, dear God, stop testing me. Like I could have like I could have bought a whole bike by now, you know. And I was like. You know, but I knew, though, I knew, though, if I would just gone through with it, I would, I would feel convicted, right? So God, the good shepherd, is always guiding us, and he uses conviction and, and, and in a sense, um, guilt in our lives to, to show us the right way, all right? Um, now, most cultures agree that stealing's bad. This one, I'm going to tell you guys, and it's, it's a little bit ridiculous, and you're going to think this is ridiculous, but you guys got to remember, 
I grew up in Kansas. I grew up in a Mennonite Brethren community where modest was hottest, okay? All right? So I would get these magazines, and it was Transworld Motocross Magazine, right? And I got this one magazine. It was this girl with a bikini sitting on a dirt, on a dirt bike. And I got the magazine, and I was like, oh, that's the most I've ever seen in my life because I grew up in Kansas with Mennonite Brethren community. So I took the magazine, and I put masking tape all over the areas where I, I knew I shouldn't be looking, I guess. And my parents found the magazine, and they're like, Josh, why is this magazine covered with masking tape, you know? And, like, they, they thought it was, like, funny, but I think on the deep inside, they were happy that I was, in a sense, being guided and convicted in these sorts of ways. And today, this is kind of how it takes place in my life. It comes in the form of self-control, all right? You go to the pool, and you're like, masking tape, you know? Masking tape, masking tape, right? Like, that's seriously, especially now. All right. <laughs> But today, especially surrounding our sexuality and even our greed, guilt is seen as something to avoid, seen as a feeling to stuff down. It's seen as something that has been fabricated by oppressive people to limit your freedom and to live in your best life now. And the problem with this is that our guilt is more per pervasive than we ever thought possible. Even amongst, even if you're not a Christian, you still have guilt. Look at the increasing levels of, we've got depression and suicide and anxiety, especially amongst the ages between 18, they say, and tw about 28 years old. And it manifests its way in some really terrible ways, and we don't deal with guilt in the proper ways. And usually we just deal with it by stuffing it down. We binge on our phones. It could be drugs, alcohol, whatever. Anything to avoid being alone in our heads with God because we know that we've guilty and that we've messed up. The problem lies when we think we can guide ourselves over and around the guilt that we feel. We don't have the solution in and of ourselves to deal with it, right? We just don't. Um, a good illustration I heard once is like, if you got on a boat and the captain says, hey, we're lost. And the captain says, no worries, we're going to get back home by looking on the lantern on of our boat. You would say that captain is a bad captain. A good captain would say, no, we're going to be guided by the stars, we're going to be guided by a lighthouse, we're going to be guided back home through something outside of us. And the problem is we're looking to our inner self to be guided back to a place that, and, and when it's inside, it doesn't exist. We need someone outside of ourselves to guide us back. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to do that. Psalms 42.5 says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed, disturbed within me? So, we don't, I didn't realize this, but the word downcast actually means for, in ancient times, a sheep would get so heavy and fat, which was a good thing, but it would literally fall over on its back, and it couldn't get up. It's kind of like, you guys seen the Christmas story, and Ralphie's little brother gets stuck, and he's like, I can't get up, you know, like, it's like that, right? And the only way, the only way that it'll get back up is if the good shepherd comes and lifts him back up. So the rest of Psalms 42.5 says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So the good shepherd is there waiting to save us and to guide us. And the great thing is, is that Jesus offers a way to deal with our shame and our guilt. You are fully known by God, and you're fully loved and accepted by God when you are in Christ. And to be fully known by God is pretty much a terrifying thing. Like, pretty much every, the mo person that knows you the most is probably who? It's probably your wife or maybe your kids. I don't know. 
But to be fully known is scary because this means that Jesus knows the worst parts of us. However, because Jesus laid down his life for us, right? John 10, 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So when we we're fully known and we we're fully accepted by God, our identity isn't placed in our jobs or being the best dad or the best athlete or the straight-A student. Rather, our identity is placed in Jesus and what he has already done on the cross. It's this coming to Jesus in our hearts, guys, um, and minds that the good shepherd is guiding us to. It's this power of the Holy Spirit that causes us to feel this sense of conviction for the way we have acted. And we have this realization at, have this realization that we are forgiven by the creator of the universe. Then this frees us up to forgive ourselves. That guilt is not wrongly placed anymore. It's placed in Jesus and what he's done and not what we have done. So because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a new life now. And we can live differently. Yeah, I might just do that because scratch my head. All right. All right, cool. So we are guided by the Holy Spirit. And there's many other ways, but that's the, the one we're going to talk about is the conviction part. But number two, we are guided by his word. Verse 9 in John 10 says, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and go out and find pasture. So what is the going in? All right, the going in is this time when we go in, when we're in God's word, and Jesus is the gatekeeper. And when we enter the gate, we, we find safety, we find rest, and peace for our souls. So this, I liken to this, is kind of like, how many of you guys have been gone for a really big business trip or something? Like, we were at California camp for a whole week, and after I lost my keys, I was like, I just want to go home, God. Like, I just want to feel at peace and be at rest, right? But this is our time that we have in solitude with God, that's coming back to him. And then, he doesn't just keep him in the pen, he takes him out. He sends him out to be, um, sends him out to be productive members of society as kingdom builders for the gospel. So, and even before we go out, guys, God is preparing a pasture for us to go into. In ancient times, and even today, uh, a good shepherd will do this. He'll go throughout the field, and he'll take the field and he'll take all the weeds away and he'll get rid of the snakes and um, all this stuff. He'll even plant new grass. And the reason he would do this is because he needed the sheep to ruminate. All right, That's not really a word that we use today very often, is it? Is ruminate. It's because it's a farming. I grew up farming. I call it, you know, farming discernment. But we grew up farming. And in order for a sheep to ruminate, it needs grass, all right? It can't just be walking around the pasture or else it's going to lose too much weight. It actually needs to sit down and chew. And then it would swallow the grass and they would chew on it again. And they would get fat and nice and they could, you know, have a good sheep to butcher. Yes, yeah, it's pretty nasty. But, I'll, yeah, we'll go on from that. Humans, all right, what does it mean for us as humans to ruminate on? Well, I, you know, Webster Dictionary told me, it means to think deeply about something, actually, okay? So if we need something to ruminate on, we need God's word, which causes us to think deeply, to ponder. It restores a sense of wonder and awe that we had as kids about God's creation and what he does. It causes us to rest. It causes us to stop. Um, oftentimes, I think we we're like a sheep who we are underfed, that we're always on to the next best thing because the last thing that we thought would satisfy our souls 
uh, faded as soon as we could consume it, right? So we just keep consuming shallow things in our life. This is a part why I think Americans can be so consumeristic, right? We're just like have that itch to buy and to buy, so we just keep buying to feel this itch that only God could satisfy. All right. But God wants us to ruminate on his word. All right, number three, the good shepherd guides us by his people. All right, 2 Corinthians 7, 6, it says, But God who comforts the downcast comfort us, us by the coming of Titus. So oftentimes God will send a friend to pick us up. Um, so every year, actually, well, last year was Old Testament cruise. I took the youth group to go down to Moab. And no, we don't go on a literal cruise ship. We just cruise through the Old Testament. And this year we're cruising through the New Testament, guys. And we go to the sheep farm. And Sam Cunningham, she's a really great lady, but she's a shepherd. And there's this two sheep in these pens here. And I asked, what is going on with these two sheep over here? And she goes, oh, one sheep is blind and the other sheep is not. And this sheep over here would starve if it didn't have his friend. So this sheep just follows him all around the pen and so he can find food, he can find water, so he can be socialized with the other sheep. It's like, well, that's a really good picture of how God guides us with his people. Now, God did this for me in college, and I'm looking over here at the college students, all right? And you guys got some really good friends in the college group. But one person who did this for me when I was in college, his name was Cal, all right? Sort of named him Cal after Cal. But I was guided by his godly character. He kept me out of a lot of trouble, all right? I looked to him. He was a worship pastor at our, at our college. He was one of the only guys that I felt like I could look up to you, and um, you, were, you were who you said you are, and he really inspired me. So 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So this brings me to the main point number two, which is God, the good shepherd, protects us. All right, so he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So he contrasts three figures here. You have the thief, which is just constantly there to, to, to kill and destroy. Um, the thief only offers lies, empty promises, and his attempt, and when we follow it, it doesn't satisfy, right? Then you have the hired hand, and this one, this one is interesting because if we remember who Jesus is talking to here, he's actually really pointed at the Pharisees, all right? And he's talking about them as hired hands, meaning that they, they wish to do good, but they can't. And actually, sometimes they're, they are being a burden to the people, they're making more um, to-dos, more works to get to, to God than is necessary. So uh, we've been working up at the, the VA here. The, the youth will go up and we'll spread mulch and stuff. And uh, this guy was over there. His name is Cy. And his son was in the VA hospital for cancer. And we were talking to him and get to know him a little bit and ask him if he was a person of faith. And he said, well, yes, I am, you know. But I had some people tell me, you know, they, they, they came to me, and they asked, you know, what I need prayer for. And I said, well, my son, he has cancer. So they prayed, and, but then after they prayed with him, they said, you know, God doesn't hear your prayers. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, God will only hear your prayers if you come and pray how we do, and if you come and pray over at this building and this location. 
<laughs> and Sai told, and Sai, what do you think Sai did? Sai didn't listen to him because it's like these sheep. He's like, it's not, it's not his sheep. He told him to go away, and he didn't listen to him. So these people thought that they were being a gate. They were making it hard to come to Jesus. It says, Jesus lays down his life. He has everything invested in us because he's the good shepherd. And proof of this is his death on the cross. Now, when I was a kid, how many of you guys had protective dads? Like, it's like part of our jobs, right, is to be protective. Well, when I was a kid, I had a three-wheeler, all right? And if that wasn't dangerous enough, I had a black lab who liked to chase me on the three-wheeler. Three -wheeler. And he would chase me in front. He would, like, get in my way so I couldn't go anywhere. And one day I hit a tree and I flipped over on my three-wheeler. And my dad, I have never, have you guys ever seen your dad sprint? Like, really sprint. Except he wasn't sprinting after me. He was sprinting after the dog. And he taught that dog a lesson that I will never forget in my life. But, you know, he's like, it's better for this dog to learn a lesson than for my kid to die on the three-wheeler, right? So God will go to extreme lengths to protect us even. Um, and the reason is, is because, you know, we're compared as sheep in the Bible. And that's not, that's not like, that's on purpose. Because we are literally defenseless at times when it comes to our spiritual walk with God. Um, and, uh, and God just protects us. He's doing more than we know. So Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the good shepherd is able to, to protect us. He does that. All right. The good shepherd, the last point. The good shepherd provides for us. John 10, 9 through 10, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so Jesus provides two things here. Jesus provides salvation, and then Jesus provides a better way of life, which is an abundant, abundant life. And now Jesus is making an incredibly bold claim here. All the I am statements are really bold, right? But he is saying that there is salvation and nobody else, all right? Jesus doesn't leave this up for interpretation. And there is a benefit now and forever for going through the door that which is Jesus. So he says, I am the door. There is no other way. And Jesus is both the door and the good shepherd. And Jesus is not just a door of many that lead to God. He is the only door that leads to salvation, right? And he's not just a good shepherd. I'm sure David was a good shepherd back there. You know, even King David in the Bible was a good shepherd, but he wasn't the good shepherd, right? So to understand this a little better, it was really cool. Um, the, good she the shepherds in the time, they would actually build a stone wall and they would lay at the, the entrance so that they keep all the thieves and robbers out. So Jesus is saying, I'm literally laying my life down for you. Now, we have a little a problem with this because when we hear that Jesus is the only way, this is saying that Christianity is a, an exclusive faith. And it says that there's only life through Jesus. But it's actually one of the most inclusive because the requirements to get in are to, get in are to simply believe in the gospel. It's to believe who Jesus was and repent of our sins, and to believe that we're saved by his grace. So it's actually really inclusive. And there's a ton of security in that, 
Because we never have to ask ourselves how much is enough because Jesus has done that. Um, so I, I think this is probably one of the hard, if I'm not mistaken, this is probably one of the hardest conversations you have with especially amongst college students, with people who aren't believers. And I, I read this from a guy, and I, I think this is what I'll, I'll, I'll start, you know, kind of helping people understand. But he says, he says this, look, you know, if you believed in something that brought forgiveness of sins, that's the benefit for eternity, and it brought life, and it brought joy, and it brought satisfaction, and it opened your heart so that you loved people, even people who are different from, from you, you love them more because of what you understood about what Jesus had done for you, this is the benefit now, wouldn't you want to share that with others? And just leave it at that, leave it at that for others, It's because it's saying what God has done in your life and how you're able to love people who are even unlovable. You're even able to love your enemies because Jesus loved us first. So there's a benefit, the salvation. And he says, you, he will be saved. All right, this at the very basic sense, to be saved, it means we are no longer condemned. Even though we deserve to stand convicted for all of eternity, God says, not so. You are mined and washed clean by the blood of Christ. And then we are saved from the never-ending desire for self-rule, okay? Um, so I often talk to the youth kids, right? And they're, I often tell them that some, one of their biggest temptations as they, as they leave your roof, when they turn 18, right, one of the biggest attemption, temptations will be to self-rule their lives once they're, they're not under their parents' roofs anymore, right? And this is the ruling of your own life. Now, I grew up in Kansas, and uh, we, I had a, a friend, and he had a cousin who w was Amish. And well, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Amish land, when you turn 16, you get to experience something called rumspringa, right? And you get to, basically, they just let you loose to self-rule, do whatever you want, drink, party, whatever you do. And their hopes is that you will return like the prodigal son, all right? And they just, like, willingly do this. But this is the following of every selfish desire we have in our own efforts to find purpose, meaning, and satisfaction. And the problem with this when we turn to self-rule is that we make really lousy gods, right? We just we can't measure up. So we do this trip called the Old Testament cruise. And we have this big epic battle with water balloons. Kids get pegged with water balloons. And we take the story from Joshua 5.13. And he says... Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither, he replied. So it's like, well, wait a second. You're not for us. You're not for our enemies. Then well, who are you for? And Jesus is offering a third way. All right. It's like there's one extreme over here, no over extreme, not even in between. But he's like, I'm offering a third way. And this is what he's offering here in John 10. He says, I'm offering a life that is abundant, right? And that abundant life does not need, need, mean rumspringa. Sorry, 16-year-olds. That's just not what it means. doesn't mean that you get to live your, your, your best life now and you get all the worldly possessions in your life. Although I do think God does lavish these things on us as just icing on the cake sometimes. But I think, and Ben, you can come on up now. Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is similar to what he says in Psalms 23. So we'll conclude with this, but Psalms 23, 1 through 6. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now there was times in David's life where it did not seem abundantly outwardly. He was downcast at times. There was times he could not get up on his own. His life was in danger. His enemies wanted to kill him. He had messed up as a friend, as a husband, and as a leader pretty heavily. But a life, abundant in, a life abundant in Christ means that even when walking through dark valleys, that Christ is there to guide us through, right? It means that the good shepherd will protect us, right? Because he can. He's actually able to. He can. A life abundant means that he will sustain us. He means that he will provide for us and that he will nurture from us and he'll give us something to ruminate on, to actually give us thoughts that are, that are deep and right and holy to him. So as we close here, just think about how God is your guide. The good shepherd is your guide. He is your protector and he uh, is your provider. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time. I just thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, I thank you um, that you are a gracious God in, in guiding us and leading us and providing for us, God. You give us so much that we don't deserve, God, but because you are gracious and you give life abundantly, you just do. And Lord, I pray as we go here that we would sense your Holy Spirit, surround us with people who love us, and God, we just thank you for working in our lives. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.